Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Michelle Gibbings all the way from Australia. Uh, welcome, Michelle. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. It's good to see you and good to connect with you. I'm just going to tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, uh, so you're a workplace expert. And, and I love this. You said you got, you're on a mission to bring a little joy back into the workplace. And um, I think that's great. And you got a lot about you for that. And you help leaders, teams, organizations build this sort of capability, courage, and conviction that they'll be ready for whatever the future holds. And, uh, you know, we're in a time of, of needing that right now. And that's through your business, Change Meridian. Uh, you're also a keynote speaker and you're the author of Bad Boss. And um, I love that. It's uh, You're stating a big pain, a big problem. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. And it's probably the first book I'm aware of that's talking about bad bosses, and we all know them and probably had them in the past. Um, but before we get into that, um, it'd be really good to know what you love about what you do. Oh, it's actually like one of those really long lists. I, I think I'm incredibly blessed with the work that I do um, because I get to learn information and ideas and gather insights all the time. And then I get to share that with people. And I just think that's such a privilege. And, you know, I'm working with individuals, I work with teams, and with, you know, in whichever form I'm doing it, you can see that you're having an impact on people's lives. And I just think, you know, one, the work's interesting. There's never a day where you walk away going, that was a boring day. Um, but also, I, you, know, you can feel that you're actually having an impact. And to me, that's really important. Brilliant. And was a a purposeful decision to get into what you're doing or was there a moment that created that? Well, I could say that connects with the book to some extent. So, I mean, I had, ah, a, okay. very, well, I had a very extensive corporate career and my last <laughs> corporate role was really tough and it was, it, it almost destroyed me. Um, and it's interesting because sometimes when you're in it, you don't see it. And I had always been successful and I'd been successful because I'd always worked hard. And so my solution was, I just need to keep working harder because if I work harder, I can fix this. Um, and it was my husband who saw it. He just said to me one day, Michelle, that place is killing you. He goes, I have never seen you doubt yourself, second guess yourself so much. And what I realized was that no matter what I did, I wasn't going to be able to change the environment and that I was in. And my boss, you know, was not a bad person. He was an ineffective leader, couldn't make decisions, kept changing his mind. And that then meant you in this constant state of churn, not just for me, but also for my team. And, you know, I tried a whole raft of different strategies and it didn't work. And so I walked in and I sat down and basically said to him, you know, if I was working in other organisations, I'd be setting the world on fire and I'm setting nothing on fire in this organisation. And, you know, he at least had the awareness to say, I think it's me. And I said, I don't think you trust me. And he goes, I do. And I said, it doesn't feel like that. I, I can't make the decisions that I'm used to. Um, and so I orchestrated redundancy and I left. And it was only sort of in that sort of then intervening period because, you know, I'd always been a corporate person. That's what I knew. I just assumed that's what I would do next. And I went on a meditation retreat 
And it was at the meditation retreat that I, I still remember this quite distinctly going, oh my God, I can't work for anyone. I'm at that point where the only person I can work for is me. And so I came home and I said to Craig, I'm done. And he goes, done with what? I said, done with corporate. He goes, oh, excellent. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to open a business. He goes, doing what? I said, I've got no idea. Um, (laughs) And I mean, it sounds all a bit jokey, but at the time it was, I really didn't have an idea. That was seven years ago. I knew that I needed to work for myself, but I also, because I had a very unusual career, I've done lots of different things, lots of different functional roles. There was lots of options and that actually sometimes creates complexity because too many options, too many choices. Mm. And it's been a very deliberate process over the years to really refine and work through, well, where is my niche and where's the space that I really feel like I can make a difference? Um, And it, has landed in this space where I'm working with individuals and teams and it's in that you know the arena of helping people understand how do they bring their best to work how do they make the choices that they need to make either individually and collectively so that everybody can thrive brilliant and I like it that you've taken a a negative or more on adversity in in your workplace and you've turned it into something you propelled you forward into something what you're doing today which is great isn't it and so sometimes I think sometimes we get into bad situations and we think, oh, this is it. But actually, it can, and I was in a similar situation to you four years ago and it propelled me into do what I'm doing now, which is what I love. And I'm so glad I had that difficult situation that caused me to think, reflect, and then make some plans to go forward in what I really wanted to do. So, yeah, I think it's I think people need to view situations like that. Actually, there is that, there may be a silver lining to what you're facing right now. Um, so bad, bad bosses. So I'm um, sorry to we've all we've all we've all had one uh, or two or three or many of them. We may even be in a bad boss. And we know that, you know, that fact about people don't leave organizations, they leave bosses. I still think they leave organizations as well, because I think there's a cultural thing can impact. But I know bosses have a huge impact. And so it's really important to be a not just a good boss, a great boss. So. It'd be, it'd be interesting to understand if if you're right now listening to this and you un- understand or perceive to be having a bad boss situation, what are sort of the things they can do to help alleviate besides leaving? Because obviously that's, that's one way of <laughs> dealing with it, is leaving. And is there a way of approaching it that can actually make it into a, a more of a positive perspective? Look, there's a couple of things with all of this. And I, I part of it is working out where do you think your boss is coming from? So to what extent are they aware that they're a bad boss? And because sometimes you can be working for someone who is a good person, they have good intent, but they're ineffective as a leader and their ineffectiveness impacts how you turn up, how you behave and what you can achieve. And there are deliberate things that you can do because if you understand where their inefficiencies are or their deficiencies are, you can sometimes close the gap and still have a really good working relationship with them because they're a nice person. Um, that's very different to the, sort of the boss, which I call either the mercenary or the illusionist, where they're either self you know, unaware of the impact that they're having, but they also don't care versus the person who is actually very aware that they're not good because they know it's all about them. They know it's all about their ego. They know it's all about their ambition. And that's what I call the illusionist because they are very good at managing up. Now, when you work for someone like that, you can actually have a successful working relationship with them as long as you meet their needs. 
But at the same time, you need to be very aware that as soon as you no longer meet their needs and if something goes wrong, they're the sort of boss that will throw you under the bus. So there's different types of bosses and depending on the type of boss you've got, that then impacts the type of strategy that you deploy. But at a sort of a very high sort of general level, what I often say to people is the first thing is check yourself. It's very easy to point the finger and go, I've got a bad boss, but are you a bad employee? Are you someone who doesn't meet deadlines? Do you not deliver on commitments? Are you the office gossip? Are you the sort of person who's just really hard to work with? And so the reason your boss is bad is because they're actually what you would see as being tough because you're not delivering what it is you need to deliver in your role. Now, Mm. sometimes that self-reflection can be hard to do, but it's a really important part. The other part is to also work through and go, Is my boss's behaviour consistently bad or has something changed? Because, you know, I look at the last 12 months and, you you know, you guys are just coming out of lockdown at the moment. Um, You know, we've had a series of lockdowns over the past, you know, 12 months in Australia. It's been a really, really difficult time for some bosses. And so sometimes the best thing that you can do is have a bit of compassion and understand what are the challenges that my boss is facing Are there ways that I can step up and do more? And I know for me, through my corporate career, one of the things that enabled me to be successful is I often had this, you know, sort of motto in my head. Now, I'd look at my boss and I'd go, okay, my job is to help them be successful. What can I do to make their life easy? And I found that the more I helped them, the more I helped them be successful in their role, the more they then carried me forward as well because they Mm. wanted me in their team. I like that. That that's that almost that self reflection that initially start with ourselves because we we often do point to other people. It must be their fault. It's not my fault, and then and then reflecting on the the type of boss. And that, that that's an interesting one actually because I think, as you say, the the one who's just got lacks the skills, as in they've just been promoted because they're very good as an expert in a particular area, but they've got no skills of managing people or leading people, are almost they're just lacking skills and abilities uh, to 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 lead. So just focus on the one who's, I think you said, is it the illusionary one? Who's the one? The who, illusionist who manages up really well. And very good. And, and basically it's all about them. Is that right? How you determine them? All about them. So it's very much they're selfish. It's all about their needs. They know that that's their motto and their mantra um, and meet their needs and you can keep them happy. But if you don't meet their needs, you're gone. Right. But it's really tough to work for somebody like that, isn't it? Because it literally is quite a lot of tension in that in terms of you're literally looking for ways to meet those needs and you don't feel you're getting any support because it's just all about them, isn't it? It is. And you can feel expendable. And so I often say to people, the key thing in that kind of role is to really work through and go, what are the long term benefits for me? What am I gaining by being in this role? And I look at some of the people that I've worked with. You know, I've had some amazing bosses, some really, really mm. good bosses. I've also had some shockers Um, and one in particular, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't worked for them Um, and there are a whole raft of things around their leadership style which were was really difficult to work with but it gave me a whole raft of experience at a very senior level which was really pivotal in terms of the rest of my career and with Mm. you know and gave me opened up networks gave me you know positioning authority a whole raft of things and so I often say to people when you're in an environment that's not working for you 
understand and search for what are the things that are going to actually help set me up for what's next. Mm. Um, And that can be helpful, but there's always an end point. You know, and I was having a conversation with um, a client earlier this week and they just looked shattered and I'd never seen them like that before. And it was because of what was going on at work in relationship with their boss. Um, mm. And as we worked through it, it was like, well, they're not going to change because they're under so much pressure from their boss. Um, and so you need to make some choices because when it starts to eat away at you and starts to impact not just your self-esteem, but in this situation, you could see it impacting their mental health. Mm. You know, it really, you know, and I know jobs that can be hard to find and, you know, people have you know, bills that they need to pay, but sometimes the best thing you can do is to leave because then that gives you the space to be able to work through, well, what is it that I do next? Mm. Where do I need to be before you get to the point that your confidence has been so eroded that it's really hard to get back into the market? No, it's interesting. And it's interesting. I've worked for similarly, not so not say bad bosses, but bosses that had elements of gaps in their skills particularly with people i i was managing and so they had interesting interactions but i actually then complimented them in terms of mm. the gaps so actually as, as as a as a team together we were more effective in that sense so i, I recognized that they weren't very good at the people side so then anything to do with people i would then help them and assist them and and partner with them to understand that and manage situation but other people thought oh they're not very good at this people and they saw them as a really bad boss overall but actually i actually complimented them. and it's just just it's just taking a different perspective sometimes isn't it and looking at what you can serve in that context it, it is and it's also i often think looking at intent So I worked for um, a person many years ago and they had a very challenging reputation in the organisation. And I remember when I started working for them, everyone said to me, oh, my, oh, you know, that person, they're so hard to work for. They're really difficult. You won't last very long. I loved working for them. Now, they were, they worked really hard and they drove things hard, but they had really good intent. And you knew that when they were making decisions, they were making decisions in the best interests of the project that we were working on. It wasn't about ego. It wasn't about their own self-interest. And they had your back. And so for me, they fulfilled, I guess, the criteria that I had for what I needed in a boss. And I think that's the other thing as well is often we have different perspectives as to what we need. And so if you can sit down and work through and really understand well, what do I need from a boss? What do I see as a good boss, a boss that helps bring out the best in me? Then that means when you're looking for your next job or looking to transfer within the organisation that you're working, you can have that in the back of your mind so that when you're getting interviewed, you interview the person who you'd be working for and Mm. understand what do they see their role being as a leader? Because there are different types of leadership styles and different people connect and work together in different ways, as you were saying before. Yeah, and, and I think it's also once you, if you're in that situation where it's, it's becoming quite difficult, it's having, you know, that open and honest conversations, isn't it, in your one-to-ones if you're finding things difficult or you're finding you know, understanding their intent because obviously sometimes intent's not always easy to spot. We we observe by behaviours, 
Um, but we can have conversations about what somebody meant or how, how are you going about it? Or what do you really mean by that? Or, or I'm struggling to understand your pace or your expectations. And it's having those conversations if you feel, you know, and I've had those difficult, and they are difficult conversations and they almost feel a bit confrontational. But I've had that when I've had challenging times where I've almost been a bit pushed back and said, this is how I'm feeling, where it's, where, what's going on. And then you have that honest, open conversations. So moving towards the, you're experiencing the the bad boss. Um, you're either you've had that feedback that you're, you're not being a very good boss, which is not very nice, um, or you just sense I'm probably not being the best boss I could really be here. Uh, again, what what are your thoughts on that? How do we sort of take hold of that? I mean, I guess would reflection be be part of that? I guess as well. I think it's reflection and feedback. And I fess up at the beginning of the book. I was once a bad boss and, you know, I didn't see myself as a bad person, but I was very driven and I could drive things hard. I had relentless energy Mm. and I didn't see the impact that I was having on my team. And I was really fortunate because I had a great boss that I worked for and she pulled me aside and she said, you know, Michelle, I get that you're ambitious. I get you want to do a great job. And that's awesome. You know, that's what you're here to do. But she said, at the end of the day, one of the key roles for you as a leader is to help develop your team, to Mm -hmm. help them get to where they need to get to in their development and in their Mm -hmm. progression. And also, at the end of the day, when you move on to something else, no one's going to remember the work you do. They're just going to remember how you've made them feel. Mm. And that really challenged me to think about what I thought it meant to be a leader. And it was interesting because in part of the reflection process, I realised I had this kind of weird notion about what leadership was. And I probably incorrectly blamed my dad, but my father was an academic and my father was very hierarchical. And so I had all these notions about what hierarchy meant and what leadership meant and what you should do and what you shouldn't do and how do you interact with people but maintain boundaries and be professional and don't be too close and don't be too connected, all of that kind of stuff. And then I realised over time half that was rubbish um, because the more people knew me and could see me and connect with me, the better I was able to build relationships with people. Um, But I often think that one of the most pivotal things I ever did was I did a 360. And that process where you get objective feedback, and often it can be really uncomfortable. And you get extremely uncomfortable. It It really is. Ouch, ouch. It's when you get the verbatim bit, the, the, the sort of the little tick boxing, which is fine. That's all scaled and everything else. And, and that sort of comes through like a almost binary. But it's when you see the verbatim and you sort of, mm, I know who that might be. And you're thinking, oh, that's a bit painful. <laughs> well, but I also have to, you have to go, okay, I asked for it. I've got it. Mm. And now what do I do with it? And I often say to people, because I use, um, these sorts of tools with my coaching clients all the time. And I often say what you're doing when you do this process is you're clarifying the difference between how you see yourself and how people experience you. Mm. And if you can't, when, you know, you need to know the gap because there's always a gap. And when you see that gap, then you can make a decision and go, is that who I want to be? Mm. Is that how I want people to connect with me and to see me and to interact with me? Um, And once you make that decision, you can then put in place 
you know, steps and it takes a while to change behaviour because so much of it's ingrained. Um, and so that's why that awareness piece right at the beginning is so critical. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think as part of that as well, it's also making sure you're listening. Excuse me, I need to take some water. <coughs> It's also getting feedback from multiple sources because mm. different people will see you in different ways and it's very easy just to take one perspective and that's where the 360 is really valuable because you're getting perspectives from multiple sources. Mm. And I think it's, you make a valid point there about it's getting the feedback from trusted, I suppose, advisors or people who, who have the right um, intent for you, the, 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 they're for you, they're not against you. And you know, some feedback, you know, people do that, coin that phrase, you know, feedback is a gift. Well, it's not always a gift because some people are not very nice and have got problems themselves. So they always feedback negative. But, and that's where well, I guess, I guess that's so where the 360, 360 becomes a little bit yeah. more objective, doesn't it, in terms of that approach? Look, it does. And I often say to people, when you're getting feedback, look at it through two lenses. So I absolutely agree. Look at the intent of the person who you're asking for feedback. Good intent, not so good intent. What's the skill of the person who's providing the feedback as well? Mm. Because sometimes we also seek feedback from people who don't have, you know, skill or expertise or ex the right type of experience because we're wanting feedback that's going to make us feel good about ourselves and that's not necessarily going to be helpful either. No, <laughs> no. And I guess I, I talk a lot of my clients about, you know, it's, it, it is all about this self-awareness and you, you've got 360s, you've got people giving you feedback. But it's having that ongoing awareness. And, you know, when you go into a room or you go into a conversation, say go into a room, we go into Zoom rooms now. We don't go into any of the rooms at the moment. But, but when you when you meet people, it, it's that sense of, well, I always say to my, my clients, you know, after the event, just reflect, you know, just pause for a minute and reflect on how were people reacting to you? How, as in what impact were you making? Were people moving away from you <laughs> were they warming to you what was the words they were saying what was the body language what was the energy in the room was it really buzzly and you went in there and it all went down and try and observe those little things and thinking what effect are you having and is that the right effects as in do you want to have that effect do you want to bring down the energy do you want to take the energy up and it's just that sort of self-reflection and almost creating that ongoing sort of self-awareness really isn't it yeah, I often say to people, if you're a leader and everyone's laughing and then when you walk in the room, it goes deathly silent, you really do know you've got a problem. <laughs> yeah. Because people aren't feeling comfortable to chat to you, to have banter, all of that kind of stuff. And that's a really important part of the relationships is the casual connections. And I think that's been the challenge over the last 12 months. You don't have corridor conversations. You don't mm -hmm. have office banter, everything in terms of communication is much more structured. Um, and that means you can lose some of the casualness of the conversations that people have. And so I actually think as a leader, you through this period, you need to make more effort, not less effort in connecting with your team. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's important to note, actually, in this last, and you made a point about consistency before, where when we observe a bad leader sort of traits actually are you observing that consistently as or is it just a, a life event or mm. some trouble at home or whatever it may be that's caused it as in they're normally quite good but suddenly and i think that's important to, to be observant have you 
in your experience in the last 12 months reaching out and sort of working with leaders has there been a I suppose a more awareness of not very good leadership you think or is it, or is it exposed people who perhaps are not very good and just been getting away with it just because of the nature of high performance or whatever um look it's interesting I I've seen it through a couple of different lenses and it was interesting. I was having a um, a conversation with a group of executives, and they're all from different organisations. And there were a couple who were saying, "Oh, you know, we've got all these issues with you know lack of productivity and a whole raft of other issues that are coming through." And when we dug through it, those issues had always been there. They just hadn't had the time to really mm. notice that there were issues. But during COVID, the issues became more apparent because of some other stuff that was going on. So it's like, well, the underlying issues weren't there. All COVID has done is actually given you the almost the impetus to to, to see that they're there. Um, I've seen some great leaders come through this period, um, really understanding and seeing the need for self-care, for mm really strong conversations in the workplace about mental health and well-being, yeah. a really strong recognition that the last 12 months, you know, particularly in Australia, you know, I'm in Victoria, we had 120 days of lockdown. Um, and that was incredibly hard. And it was, yeah. I, mean, I remember saying to one of my friends, I felt like I was my own human Petri dish because I was watching myself and my reactions to things and going, that's not me. This is really fascinating. I don't, I don't mm. think like that. I don't process information like that. Um, and so, what we had in Australia was you had different states with different issues and also different reactions because of mm. the way the lockdowns were going. Um, and there was a lot of support. You know, I know my husband's company; they got sent care packages, and those wow. care packages were. Um, you know, one time we got puzzles, another time we got a whole cookie hamper. And, you know, it probably wouldn't have cost a lot of money. But what it said was, we know that you're in lockdown and things are tough. And what yeah. we're saying is we're taking care of you. Um, and the other thing that his company did, which I, I found remarkable, is, you know, lots there were organisations who are putting people off left, right and centre. And they said, we've got divisions that are doing really well. Your division's not doing well, but mm. you are all okay because we have enough money from the other divisions to cover what's going on in your division, so don't worry mm. about your jobs. And so for me, what I was seeing in some quarters was almost that social obligation where they're going, we are all in this together and we mm. all need to make choices. You obviously saw other companies who didn't take such a socially responsible um, position, and I actually think they will, you know, there will be longer-term consequences because people make choices in terms of they want to work for organisations that are socially responsible. And it builds loyalty. When you do the right thing by your employees, it builds loyalty. Mm. Well, totally. And I, and I think it, the last year has put a spotlight on on ro the right leadership. And I think, the, I think the people side of things has really come to the forefront and people have started to really become more empathetic and been almost allowed to be a bit more freer with that and be more authentic. And the fact that you're, although we're not connecting the sense of physically, the fact that you're connecting in somebody's home and you're seeing them in their home life, it creates another level of connection. And I think with the clients I've been dealing with, they that's what's really comes to the forefront and that sense of understanding, actually, I need to really care for my people. They did mm -hmm. before, but it's become more obvious. And 
the time to reflect on that as well. And I guess um, I think going forward, I mean, let's hope that that change, that sort of shift or paradigm shift will continue, I guess, that people will continue to be more empathetic in how they approach their employees and make sure they're looking very more people focused as opposed to just about the numbers. Because if you focus on the people, the numbers will follow. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, all the research backs that up. And, you know, I, I still find it staggering when you can talk to people who not struggle to understand, but you can see where the priority is, um, you know, more on numbers, less on people. And you think when you do, when you get the people right, when you have the right emphasis, when you're loyal to people in your organisation, when you do the right thing by them. Now, and that doesn't mean that you don't ever restructure and you don't ever do redundancies because organisations change, but there are ways to do it. Um, and there are ways to help people through the transition. Um, and we know that we're all going to be going through lots of transitions over the, you know, coming sort of 20, 30 years and into the beyond. Um, by then, obviously, in the next 20, 30 years, I'm likely to be retired by then. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, we know when you look at all the stuff coming out of the World Economic Forum in terms of the future of work, it's just going to be constant change. And I think one of the really important things through all of that is for organisations to really encourage their employees to learn and to love learning. And I often say to people, if you can fall in love with learning, the future isn't daunting because you don't look at the change and go, I don't know what to do. You look at the mm. change and go, hey, that's just another opportunity to learn something different and I'm awesome. up for that. I agree with you. I think lifelong learning is the best way to overcome any uncertainty or challenge that you may face because you're constantly rewiring your brain with things and you're getting used to change, getting used to new things. And that's really important. I just want to just lastly, just, just touch on this where we've had some really good leaders and then they've gone into the remote world and it's been really difficult and they've struggled with it. They've been really good in the office and, and then suddenly there's been this shift. What advice before we go would you give to those who are I mean, I've obviously been doing it last year, but who are still perhaps struggling with the remote leading because it's not easy. It's very different. Um, um, so what are your sort of thoughts on that? I think the key thing is to find out what your team need because often what happens when we've gone remote is everything becomes collective rather than an individual. And so individually talk to each of your team members, find out what they need. How do they want to have, you know, communicate with each other? What are the protocols around Zoom? Does everyone need camera on, camera off? Um, where are the times where things are phone calls, not emails? All of that kind of stuff. So you're creating a sense of individual understanding, but then collectively mm. agreeing with each other in terms of how you interact with each other. Mm. Um, but then also, I think, talking to your team about what you need from them. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with I think sometimes leaders think, when things are changing and things are tough, I have to keep it all in and I, I, I can't share what I need. And I think mm. it goes both ways. I think it's really important for leaders to be able to talk about what they need from their team. Mm. Um, yes, when we're going through times of crises, we want leaders who are strong and who are decisive. So there's a balance. You can't come across as indecisive and unsure because that creates uncertainty and the uncertainty creates anxiety. But I don't think there's anything wrong as a leader going, hey, you know, I know this is tough and, hey, there's been some times where I've found things challenging too, um, but let's work through this together. So you're really creating that sense of connection and team. And I know from my perspective, I go back through my corporate days, 
um, I, you know, I always came across as, you know, very professional, very together, very, you know, got stuff done. And I still remember one day I was sitting at my desk and we'd just come off this really big project and I, I must have just sighed and maybe I sighed really loudly. And one of um, my team members said, oh, thank God. And I just turned to her and I said, sorry? I said, what do you mean? She goes, thank God you get tired too. And I said, oh. <laughs> and I said, I said, what do you mean? And she said, you have relentless energy. And she said, it's great. It's infectious. And we all love working with you. But she said, it's exhausting. <laughs> and she said, we can't keep up with you. And she said, we all talk about, where does she get it from? How does she do this? And I was, and I was just laughing because I thought, oh, really? I don't think I have that much energy. And she was like, yes, you do. <laughs> you do. Um, and so what I found was that by me being open about, oh, yeah, I'm exhausted too, it gave yeah. them permission to go, oh, yes, yay, it's done. And so I think, you know, being I then learned through that that one of the things that I had to do was get really explicit with my team mm. about how I worked. And when I got explicit, that then helped create that sense of permission. Well, actually, Michelle's okay. She said this is how she works. She doesn't expect us to work in the same way. So we mm. can now find the way that works for us. Well, I love that, that that vulnerability, almost you exposing how you feel, and they they picked up on it. That that's quite powerful, isn't it? That really is. Um, and we probably could keep going on because you you do have bounds of energy, and it's great. Um, <laughs> but, but how can people get in touch with you? Want to connect with you and um, and your book as well? Tell them about your book as well. How to get all that? Oh, lovely. Thank you. Uh, so, look, the best way is through my website, which is michelle at michellegibbings.com. Um, and all my books you can buy through Amazon um, online, which is probably the easiest way in the UK. If you're in Australia, it's Booktopia. Um, but basically all major um, kind of online resellers, um, you can get Bad Boss or my other two books, which is Step Up, which was all about how to influence, and my second book, which was Career Leap. Um, and Career Leap was all about how to reinvent and liberate your career. Brilliant. Well, thank you for your time today, Michelle. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, look, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organisation to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.